Hello, you're listening to Our Walk, the podcast that talks to real people with real stories about a real God. I'm Luke. I'm Steve. And this week we are talking to Dan. coffee on me so I'm alright our fridge freezer is broken at the moment so I've got no milk at home so I can't have a tea or coffee while I'm at home which is yeah tough. but co- coffee's horrible anyway well that's where you're wrong tastes like dirt don't be that <laughs> <laughs> let us know in the comments if you think coffee tastes like yeah, that who email do you agree us. with email <laughs> us yes I'll get to that you yeah. can email us at rwalkpod at gmail.com uh, just like to remind the viewers where you can get in contact with us you can find us on Facebook Just we have a Facebook page just type in our walk if you are a Twitterer, you can follow us at our walk pod or you can visit our website where you'll be able to find every episode, blogs, and much more to come on that website, ourwalkpod.com. Now, this week we are talking to someone who I actually work for. Oh, yeah. boss, on your best behavior. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> but this guy has just been uh, someone who's been influential to my life, has been a great uh, leader, he's a role model to many. Um, just a great follower of God. Uh, that is Dan. How are you this week, Dan? I'm oh, very well, thank you. Yeah, pleased to be on here and, and sharing the story and sat here with you two guys. It doesn't get a lot better than that, does it? It doesn't get a lot better than that. No. Know. I think it's a privilege for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We should yeah. do hangout sessions where it's hangout with Luke and Steve from yes. the You know people do live shows for podcasts, right? That's it. We uh-huh. can just do that, but small. So we'll people can hire out their living rooms and just get us to come over and chill. I must say, we're in, um, while recording this episode, we are recording in Dan Holland's house. Uh, it's the first time I've been here and it's just nice, it's nice and chilled and stuff, I like it. Dan's a bit upset that this is the first time I've been here. Yeah, it's bad if you've had someone work in your garden and you've never actually invited them indoors, that's, that's not it. right. Yeah, helped him build, founda- uh, dig holes for his foundation for an extension, never invited me in the house. <laughs> all right, all right. Wow, brutal. It was raining that day as well. <laughs> starting, starting this off right. Uh, I think if I remember rightly, you were allowed to sit in the garage though. Yeah, I did sit in the garage, but... With a bacon roll? I did. Yeah. That's a Not garage though. No, no muddy footprints inside. Nah, to be fair, I, I was a mess, so I wouldn't have wanted to come in here anyway. <laughs> I would have stained everything. <laughs> oh dear. So I'd just like to remind our listeners that how we structure these episodes. If you're first, this is the first episode you're listening to, this is how it goes. Part one is all about childhood, what was uh, your family life like growing up, school life. Part two is moments of encountering God and uh, moments that cemented your faith in Him. Part three is sort of how that has affected your life, what's changed in your personality, character, in your life. And then we have a little outro bit as well as a prayer request in part four. So, Steve, would you like to start us off by asking Dan a question, even though I could do that, but I'm going to pass it to you. <laughs> you could. Oh, before, before we begin, um, Dan, we mentioned just before we hit the record button about remembering childhood, and then Dan pulled this face of, oh, that might be difficult, <laughs> because he had a bit of an accident. But before we get onto that, I want to ask Luke, <laughs> Yeah. what's the worst kind of body damage you've done to yourself? I mean, it's not really a good story. Well, so I've never broken a bone in my body. Oh, um, okay. 
But one time I thought I did, I was at the age of 11, I fell off a, a scooter and landed on my arm and I thought my left wrist was broken and the doctors thought that, they sent me to A&E, uh, got an x-ray and stuff. I didn't break a bone, I bent, I bent a bone in my wrist, it bended. Uh, yeah. I didn't even know you could do that, that's <laughs> great. That. Yeah, um, so I had to have my um, arm in a cast for six, seven weeks and stuff. Nice. So that's the, the worst thing I've done. But, yeah. What about you? I, I've had a, a lot of small injuries. I've got scars all over my legs from just falling over or being stupid. Um, probably the biggest one is when I used to have temper tantrums as a child and just hit my head on the floor. I'd get, <laughs> I'd get on my hands and knees and just headbutt the floor repeatedly because I was just angry. Normally, it'd be when I'm told off. Like, mum would be like, Stephen, don't do that. And I'd be like, I'm doing it! And then I'd get on my hands and knees and headbutt the floor. So I've got a scar on my forehead from where I had stitches and just cut open the stitches. Um, you know, That's or brilliant. running around the swimming pool and fracturing my arm. Or all sorts, all sorts. I've survived. I'm a survivor. But Dan, Good. tell us tell us your story. First, before we ask about your childhood, <laughs> why you might have a few blurry bits in your childhood. Well, I'll be honest, I'm pretty uncomfortable, Sire, with one person with bendy bones and one person that got down and started <laughs> head head the floor. I mean, it's, not, it's not the most uncomfortable environment I've ever been in, to be honest. But, um, I got all my rage out, though, because I'm now a chill person. So That is true. Very chilled. So, yeah, so it wasn't brilliant, to be fair. I just got married. Um, it was about two months, I think, after I'd been married, and we were working out in a woodland. I'm a tree surgeon landscapers, for those that don't know. And um, available for hire anytime. <laughs> and this ladder got caught in the top of, top of the tree, and I was pulling it down, and it actually slipped out of its runners and then came down and cracked me straight on the head. Um, it doesn't look good for the company when you're running around the woods shouting at the top of your voice, You're gonna die with blood pouring down your face. Oh, um, yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant, but it all got patched up and yeah. everything was all right. But I am pretty sure. I haven't quite got as clear memory as I used to have ever since then. But there That's we go. Crazy. Well, <laughs> with that in mind. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> this might be true. <laughs> this might all be made up. I might have to bring you back in a future season where it's like, I've just remembered everything I said in that first part was false. It was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind, <laughs> and as true as you know, yes. uh, what was your childhood like? What, you know, where were you born? What was your family like? No, there is a lot I can remember, to be fair. So, my dad was a farmer. Um, so, I was born, actually, on a farm. Well, obviously, in a hospital. Um, but grew up for the first couple of years of my life on a farm. Um, can't remember a lot about that. Uh, do know where it is, though. It now has Green Park built all over it. Um, so, that's where it was. For those of you that live near Reading, you'll recognise that. Um, and then, after that, we moved into... My dad was made redundant. Obviously, got a house with the farm. And so... Uh, the manager came to him one day and literally said, here's a bit of money, um, I'm selling off the farm and you're out of here. I think they didn't give him long, a few weeks and then that was it and he was gone. So my dad, to be fair to him, um, got completely stitched up, he didn't see it coming at all and then literally had no money. Um, so I remember we moved, I remember moving to this house where you couldn't really walk around because all the floorboards were up. It didn't have any central heating. It didn't really have any electrics to begin with. Um, the garden was just full of dog poo from the previous owner. It wasn't a particularly nice. And then my first memories, I'd say, of the house that we then stayed in and grew up in. Um, but my dad was my dad was a hard worker. Always has been a really hard worker. And he started working for a, a tree surgery company. Then the one that he actually owns now, 
um, but that's a long that's a long story and that's that's his story rather than mine. Um, and so yeah, so it was in Waverley Road in Reading, just up from Elm Park at the time. And so I went to a local little primary school down there called Wilson. If anybody knows that, big shout out to Wilson Primary School. Um, is that still is that still open? It is still open. Oh, it is. Yeah, very much so. I'm desperate to go back there and do something. I do assemblies and stuff at the moment for kids, so I'm trying to get into Wilson Mm. uh, just for reminiscing. But there we go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I went to the local primary school there, which was was interesting. It wasn't a. It wasn't known as a great school at all, Um, but it was character building. Did Um, you enjoy school? Do you know what I did? I was I was quite quiet at school. I mm. kind of got my head down and got on with what I needed to. Um, I wouldn't say I found it easy um, academically or anything like that, but I did always find it easy to sort of get on with people. Um, and so yeah, primary school just kind of kind of passed by really. Mm. Um, and so outside of that, uh, my dad was was a very hard worker, as I said, um, and. We used to go to church, um, very serious on church. Church was a big part every Sunday morning. Uh, I think at that time my dad was a, one of the elders or leaders or whatever it was at that time. And um, so we used to go there and uh, we used to go to, I think it was called Prospect Community Church then. Um, every week, religiously, we'd go along. I'd obviously go to Sunday school and this, that and the other. And to be honest, it was just part of life. Um, it's just what we did on mm. a Sunday. A lot of my family went there. A lot of friends went there. Um, so out of school, a lot of my friendship groups were kind of to do with church. And so I went along, went to Sunday school, learnt the Bible stories, learnt that sort of stuff. Um, and to be honest, I was generally really fortunate. You don't always see it as a kid, um, but through working with a lot of kids in later years in my life, I realised I had a really lucky, fortunate, blessed upbringing, to be honest. My mum and dad loved each other. Um, I had a mum and both of mum and dad living in the same house. Um, I've got a younger brother as well, a couple of years younger, Ben. And life was, life was all right. My mum was, was quite ill growing up. Uh, a lot of the time she had, uh, she had something wrong with her heart. Her heart valve wasn't too strong, so she didn't have a lot of energy, to be fair. So we had to be pretty chilled out and quiet mm-hmm. at home and stuff. Um, give her quite a lot of time and space to do what she needed to do. Um, but yeah, generally, I couldn't have asked for a, for a better upbringing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's very safe, very secure. Um, mum and dad being who they were and God-fearing people. Um, yeah, gave us a, the best start we could probably have asked for, really. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, should we jump forward into your teenage years? Yes. Um, that's normally the point where most people, <laughs> normally be, most people are like, childhood was okay, yeah, teenage years, boom. <laughs> so, well, they're formative years to anyone, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, you know, everything's tough. changing. I wouldn't want to go through that again. Definitely not. No, no too, too <laughs> true. Um, so yeah, so I went, then went off to Prospect. Um, that was, again, pretty character building, to be fair. Um, I was a sort of bloke at school that I liked everyone. Like, I didn't really have people that I didn't get on with. Um, I've got Obviously, you've got your closer friends and stuff. Being part of the, the football team kind of gives you that unit as well. Um, but I wouldn't say I ever had any problems with sort of bullying and stuff like that, which other people 
I've had and, and to be honest if anything I was regretted it would be the other end of that um, and joining in with the bullying which is something that I regret to this day to be honest um, but you don't kind of notice it when you're at that age do you and you just sort of carry on and mix in with those around you um, but school was school was good I enjoyed school I enjoyed the sports side of it I enjoyed the social side of it um, in class I was a very very quiet person I'm, I was the sort of bloke that sort of in English if you sat in English and you had to do some loud reading or whatever it was reading out in class I wasn't a good reader or strong reader at all um, anyway but I used to carry around like cough sweets in my pocket and I'd always say to the teacher I've got a sore throat sorry I can't do that mm. um, so and I used to get like really embarrassed about stuff and this and the other and to be honest I sat in a lot of lessons just not having a clue what was going on to be fair um, but just thinking it was I'll get through this it'll be alright uh, but I did I did work hard. I wasn't bothered about about sort of hard work. Um, I worked as hard as I could. So any any kind of subjects that were coursework heavy, I was all right at mm. because you could just sort of churn out those kind of projects. Put the time and then work at it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it was exam based, not so good. I'm not not a man for for exams. No. If I'm honest. Neither am I. But generally, school was good, and I carried on going to. Um, to church obviously with my with my parents um, but as soon as I got the choice um, I joined a football team that played on a Sunday morning um, and I wasn't particularly bothered about church I think for me church was a social group that I went to um, I didn't know anything about a relationship with God sure I could reel off some Bible studies I could give people the right answers if we were if I was quizzed on anything Jesus um, yeah, generally, Jesus is the, <laughs> answer. the answer. Yeah. <laughs> then I learnt that Jesus is the answer. Now I know that Jesus is the answer, but it's a massive difference. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say I was a Christian, although I did have one experience one night where, I remember this one, I was lying in bed, my parents were out somewhere. Uh, I think we had someone babysitting, so this must have been in primary school. And um, my brother had made a commitment to God Obviously, my mum and dad had, and I had this dream one night of this nightmare that it was kind of the end of end of time, as it were. My family, I was looking at my family, they were all in heaven and I was in hell, and it freaked me out big yeah. time. Gosh. Um, so much so that I actually called my dad and asked my dad to come home and was like, I don't know what it is I've got to do, but I've got to do something to be the same as you. Mm. Um, and so I don't know, I, I mean, I said that prayer out of fear and nothing else. How old were um, you around that time, roughly? Probably about 10. Oh, wow, okay. So quite young. Yeah, and quite young. Like that, gosh. And it was weird because it didn't really, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, but it was just this gripping fear. And ever since that, that day in my life, I was petrified of death. Mm. Um, not so much anymore, but we'll get on to that later. But mm -hmm. that was a big thing to me, death really really scared me yeah. I think because I'd had that dream yeah that's um, it seems a bit counter what nor, you know normally as a child and as a teenager you have no fear of death or even injury you kind of just get on and see what happens it's true you kind of, yeah, it doesn't occur definitely. to you does it? but you're kind of like saying from a young age you had a fear of death and I guess with that kind of injury I guess kind of but you know that's yeah. a bit counter what most people would experience in their youth. However, I would say that whatever I prayed that day, albeit out of fear or whatever it was, there was something 
there always seemed there's always felt like there was something there from that day do you know what I mean I wouldn't yeah. say I then had a relationship with God or even knew who God was let alone sort of Jesus or Holy Spirit or anything like that but I don't know it was just it was just something so the seeds so the seeds yeah um, no seeds just jam there yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then things got things got a bit worse to be honest um I basically, at the age of 16, I had got so frustrated with being at home. So at home, my mum, my dad and my brother are very quiet people and I wasn't that quiet person. Mm. And I always felt like I never, I never fit in. Um, no one would have an argument with me. No one would have a big, like, major blowout because everyone was just so cool, calm and collective all the time. Um, and that actually frustrated me. So at the age of 16, I remember once sitting on the sofa, turning around, and there's been a lot of apologising since. So I turned around to my mum and my dad and I said, I hate you and I'm moving out. And I think it took them, well, it did. It just took them by absolute surprise. Yeah. Um, as far as I was concerned, I was moving to Liverpool because there was a girl that I'd met on holiday and um, I was going to go up and stay with their family. I've been in contact with her since. So that's where, where I was going. And so fair play to my mum and dad, really. They, um, they just let me go. And I think, looking back now, they, they were absolutely convinced I was on some hardcore drugs because right. there was just this absolute mindset change um, that was pretty extreme. And to be fair, like to turn around out of the blue and say, I hate you and I'm moving out at 16 is... I mean, I wrecked my family, basically, by doing it. Um, my brother lost his older brother. Um, my mum and dad lost their oldest son. And it was it was as simple as that, because I didn't really talk to them. Um, but they were quite smart. So they, they... I don't know whether they asked my grandma or whatever, but she came up to me, I think it was, and said, do you want to come and live with me? Um, which is a far more sensible, sensible idea, to be fair, than going up to Liverpool yeah, and yeah. staying with some family that you've just met on holiday and this, that and the other. Um, and so even then, like, God was working through these things that were happening mm. around me. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so I went to live with my grandma for the, next, for the next year. And to be honest, that was a weird year because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I'd done what I'd done. I didn't know why I hated them. I just hated them. Um, but there were advantages. Uh, my grandma lived on the same road as my school. So right. I got a line every morning. Um, and you know what? My grandma was really good. I'm eternally grateful to her. She gave me space. She didn't try to smother me or anything like that. She just let me do what I wanted to do. Um, and actually, I'd say we became really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um I remember more often than not actually choosing to sit down with her sort of like late on in the evening like have a hot chocolate or something and just and just chat do you know what I mean so we became like mm. became friends and stuff um, during that time I wasn't really obviously wasn't really going to church or anything like that um, but it came to that point where I was just like what is this thing all about I think that's where that's where I hit and I remember sitting on the end of her bed one day not her bed sorry the bed I was staying in and, and just literally crying out and just saying God if you're there you've got to do something in my life because mm-hmm. it had come to the point where I've, although I'm petrified of death I'm not too bothered if I die tomorrow mm-hmm. because to be out of this pain right now would be pretty good um, and so yeah I got myself into a bit of a state to be fair so 
I mean, I've got a question. So, would... Were you t- one, were you talking to your, your brother, parents, during that year with your grandma? Was it awkward? <laughs> I imagine it was probably pretty awkward. Yeah, so in the same way as my grandma gave me space, they gave me space too, which I think absolutely broke them. Um, but I appreciate them for what, for what they did. And no, I didn't speak to them. No. Uh, I saw my brother now and again, but rarely. I didn't realise quite how much hurt I'd caused them. Uh, they were in pieces, apparently. Um, but you know what? I'll be honest, I didn't care. And that pains me to say it, but yeah. I don't care. Right. Okay. Uh, this has been a long part one. I'm sure there's a lot more to come. So we'll wrap it up here, uh, have a little break, and then come back in a moment. And we are back. So uh, that was quite, quite a lot to digest I think like I didn't see that coming basically you know when you're like your childhood and how you went to school and, blah, 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 and then suddenly yeah I'm going <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> I didn't see that I didn't know that actually I didn't see that coming so um yeah I think that was just impressive Luke have you got your voice back you didn't yeah, want to talk I have you didn't so, want to talk yeah, for, for the listeners I didn't want to talk I was doing hand signals to see <laughs> to get him to keep talking because I needed to clear my throat because I had a bit of a croaky voice but I didn't want to do that to you <laughs> listeners you know, so professional well, I'm listening to this intense story and then you got you know only for the fans not yeah. that we have diehard fans yet one Maybe, day one day God's a diehard fan absolutely oh, amen yeah, <laughs> Oh man, quality content. Yes. That's what you get from our walk. <laughs> so right. anyway, Dan, you you know you touched on part one about you know your childhood, your teenage years, and you know mm-hmm. sort of turning your life away from God and church and your family as well and all that. Um, and you kind of tease a little bit about this moment of where it's like you start to sort of become aware of what you were doing. So if you'd just like to sort of follow on from that and just tell us what happened. So you were at the bed um, in your grandma's house, sort of crying to God. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's funny how you, you phrase that in some ways, because you say uh, kind of like a turning your back on God. I never knew God. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I, I struggle well, to yeah. understand how someone, when they truly know God, can then turn their back mm-hmm. on God. Do you know what I mean? So I would say the whole, like, yes, I went to church every week. Yes, I knew a load of Bible stories. Mm. Yes, I'd sing songs. Yes, I'd do. I'd even pray, but mm. I didn't know God. Do well, you turn your back on that lifestyle, but also the oh, idea yeah. of of there being a God and stuff. You sort of turn your back from ever getting close to Him or you know furthering your faith in Him and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd say, I mean that that kind of cry for help on the end of the bed, I wouldn't say necessarily changed anything, but what it no. did do was it set in my, I was surprised at myself because I was kind of calling out to a God that I saw that other people had. Um, not one that I'd have experienced, not one that I even knew if he did answer, how he'd answer. I mean, I, it was a kind of a cry of, of desperation. Yeah. Um, and then from then the journey kind of, kind of kept going. Um, got worse before it got better to be honest um, I got into a relationship with funnily enough a girl that was going to 
the church. Um, and so I started being at church a little bit more, um, this, that and the other. And that didn't, that didn't really end well. Um, I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on it straight away. It's just like, oh, because their parent, her parents were going out at the same age or something. I think we were like 15, 16 or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, you two are going to get married. And, it's, and no one needs that kind of pressure on a, on a relationship. Um, and it was, I think we were good friends. Um, obviously, found her attractive. But I don't think there was a lot more than that, really, mm. um, when I look back. It wasn't necessarily going to go everywhere, but like you do, I pinned all my hopes on it. Um, and then, so the day we split up was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to me. Um, yeah. It was like, all right, I I kind of got a bit comfortable. I'd found a little bit of this identity in this relationship. So did um, she end it? She ended it. Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ruthless. Absolute ruthless. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think she shed a tear, but I booed oh, a lot, man. Um, but I think it's because I had so much more pinned on it than she did because yeah. I'd kind of found a little bit of maybe who I was. Um, so when that's taken away from you, I just like, I knew what I was going back to. I knew I was going back to a lost person who didn't know who he was um, and didn't have any identity whatsoever. So um, then, I just, yeah, then it was from one, oh, I wouldn't say relationship with girls. I'd just say it was from one girl to a next, really. Um, search, still searching for identity in that. Um, and then I passed my driving test, which was cool. Um, I was desperate. The day I passed my driving test, as far as I was concerned, life was complete. Mm. Right, I'd achieved everything I needed to achieve, man. It was just that absolute freedom. Um, by this time, I was kind of moving back into home. So I'd kind of repaired some of the damage that I'd done. Um, it wasn't easy um, moving back into home. But I knew it was something I needed to do. Do you know what I mean? I, I kind of caused enough mess there. Um, so I was working on that relationship, moving back into home. Got my driving... T and it's weird, when you have a car, you've got freedom, right? And so that was easier moving back because I had a car and whatever. Um, but then, basically then what happens was, is because I could drive, I was one of the first to drive in my year, there were a few... Um, my mates that used to deal in sort of quite soft drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a car, so I could get around from here to here. I needed petrol money, um, and so that was perfect for me, um, and it meant I could smoke or do whatever with the drugs as well. So it was kind of win-win on all, on all sides, really. Um, so I started running people around where they needed to go, this, that, and the other. Not ideal. And I think it came to it came to a little bit of a head when we had just cut up a load of of hash in a, in one of in my car. My car was completely hot boxed, man. It was it wasn't it wasn't brilliant to mm -hmm. be fair. Mm -hmm. And we were going off to another school. So I was still at school at the time. We we're going off to another school to drop this stuff off. And uh, all of a sudden, I was with my mate Danny, and uh, all of a sudden the police started following the car and I've never been so scared in all my life yeah, to be yeah. honest because um, there was all this stuff there was a blowtorch in the back with with hot night the car absolutely stunk um, and then all this stuff wrapped up and ready to go and so we were literally driving out this is by junction 12 so I tried to go around the roundabout a couple of times and the car the police car kept coming and I was like this is it 
um, I don't know what's happened. A uh, week prior to that, my mate had been pulled over and had his car strip searched and put in a cell and everything else. I was right. just like, oh my goodness, yeah. I'm going back to ruin my family even more. Like, this is all going to go back to go horribly wrong. And so we pulled over. So I got out of the car quickly, went to the police car. And um, I said, oh, yes, no problem. He's like, is it your car? Is it under my dad's insurance? And it's under my other. I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem at all. They said, oh, you've got a wonky wheel at the back. I said, do you know what? We can talk about the wheel all day long. It's not a problem. Yeah, yeah, I have got a wonky mm. wheel in this and the other. Well, as this, as this was happening, this conversation was going on, the other police officer was then going to my passenger side oh, where dear. Danny was sat. Now, Danny had just shoved all this stuff down his trousers, right? So I thought... If he's asked them to get out of that car, we're in serious trouble. Yeah. Now, I don't know why, but God was very gracious that day. Because when Danny ran down the window, I saw smoke literally coming out of the car. How the policeman did not smell that is just <laughs> absolutely beyond me. Wow. Not only that, he never asked him to get out of the car. Yeah. We then had our conversations and this about me. I was shaking like a leaf, but we got back into the car. and said, right, okay, where are you going? I admit to admit, sorry, God, I did say a petty lie. I said we needed to get to an exam. Um, so they sort of let us go. And as I got back, I looked on the back seat of my car and everything there was all the cutting gear just out on the back seat and the police car. The policeman hadn't even seen that either. Gosh. We got down to the end of the road. And um, we pulled over in a pub car park and I think I literally, we just smoked like a whole pack of cigarettes just to try and calm down. And I turned to my mate and I looked him in the eye and I said, do you know what, Danny? I said, there is a God. And for some reason or not, he saved our backside today and there's no way we deserved it. Wow. And so that was one of the first things where it was just an absolute miracle mm -hmm. right before my very yeah. eyes on so many levels. And uh, on, on in a... In a situation that you wouldn't think God would sort of interfere in no, especially that. at that stage where you didn't sort of have a faith in him a belief in him a relationship with him For sure. it's something you wouldn't think oh God God would just sort of let this happen because it's not really an area he should be in you know no. this holy figure you know being in this sort of situation where it's like, you know you're doing drugs you're lying doing illegal stuff yeah that's crazy Oh, I deserved it. I deserved everything I got that day, to be mm -hmm. fair. But by his grace, I was, I was saved. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so my ex-girlfriend then found out about this stuff that's going on. She got really worried about me. So we started going out again. Now, when I look back now, I know it's because she felt sorry for me and she thought she could sort it out. Right. Because she said, right, if we're going to go out, you need to stop all this stuff. So fair enough. Um, I stopped most of it, not all of it, um, she didn't know about that, but um, yeah, generally it was just a little bit here and there, but it all came again to a little bit of a head where I was sat once in the back of church, I don't even know why I was at church that day, but um, yeah, I was on the phone, I was texting someone at the time and just sorting out where to pick some pick some gear up and drop it off to and I just thought again it came to me it's like this is just so wrong man you're in church a place of God and you're sorting out things like this like what is the matter what what is going on here this is this is not good um and then what happened was is it was about a few months later I went off to this the church were having like a church camp at a place called Russell Farm and there was this bloke speaking um and 
he was into prophesying, which is basically like telling people about things that have happened in their life and this, that, and the other. And so I was going there because they were going to do a bit of football in the afternoon. So I sat at the back of this meeting and I was waiting for the football to start. And um, as I walked into the hall, this bloke looked at me as he was talking. And you know when someone looks at you in that way, it's like, oh okay, no, this, yeah. is, this is not good. <laughs> They're going to come over in a minute Yeah, have a word. So this bloke started telling me in front of everybody else my life story and where I was at. But you had not spoken to him? No. Never wow. met a bloke before in my life. Oh, right, okay. You're like, shush, all my dirty laundry, shut it up. It was very, very weird. And then he got up a bloke called Chris Everett and he got me up to the front of this church and he said, you two are going to work together. Now, I said to... I, turned, I looked at this bloke, I was just like, I thought, I'm not going to embarrass you in front of everybody here, but A, I don't even go to church. I don't even believe in God. Like, I don't even know what this guy is talking about. But I couldn't help. I had to go and see him after the meeting. I was just like, how do you know this stuff? Who's been talking to you about me? And he's like, no one, just God told me. I mean, he even told me how I was feeling. I didn't even know how I was feeling myself. No. So again, it was like this, bam, this massive idea that, okay, there is... There must be a God out there. Yeah. This God knows me better than I know myself. And I really don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. And so with that, things just started progressing. A few years later, um, I started doing children's work. Um, I've always loved kids, working with kids. It's cool. Down in Coley, um, not necessarily coming out of what that bloke said, but I then started working with Chris and his wife, Lynn, and doing some children's work down in Coley, just doing after-school clubs and stuff like that, wow. basically playing football with the kids. Yeah. Now, we'd both forgotten about that and what had happened. There wasn't, it wasn't any way on the basis of that. Um, it's just something that we started to do. And then it turned out to be a really big youth club. We used to have um, about 100 kids coming along each week, and it was a good, it was a good thing. And then they went off to America and heard of this thing called Kids Church. They then came back, oh no, they didn't go to America, sorry, they heard about it at a conference. Mm-hmm. They came back to this youth group and they said, right, what we're thinking of doing is we're going to change this to a Sunday school on a Sunday afternoon for unchurched kids. And I was like, do you know what, that sounds really good, but obviously I'm not really going to be involved in that, um, so I'm not sure that's really for me. I just don't know where I'm at right now and I'm not going to tell kids about something I'm not sure I believe in myself. However, what they did say was, could you come along to the first few sessions because obviously the kids know who you are and you can just sit there with the kids and they're saying, yeah. I was like, yep, no problem, that's cool. So they started up this this thing, a lively Sunday school for unchurched kids on a Sunday afternoon. And do you know what? I sat in there on the first session they did and this bloke, Chris, spoke to these kids about how God loves them, about how God has a hope and a future for them. And I looked at these kids, and from knowing some of their backgrounds, I just thought, these kids need to hear this. This is good mm. stuff. But then I felt the finger point at me, and I was like, but what about me? And do you know what? From that day on, I decided I'm going to learn with these kids. And so everything that was spoke about at the front for the kids, it put it in a language I could understand mm-hmm. and I could grasp. At the same time with this happening... One of my mates that I grew up with came back from Canada. Um, so we'd gone through life together. Similar, very similar story. Went to the same primary school. Went to the same church. 
similarly turned our back on it, this and the other. He comes back from Canada, this man is completely different, right? I mean, he was a stressed out guy, problems in life, this and the other. He comes back and he has this aura of peace around him that he mm. never had before. Right. And I said to him, what's wrong with you? What's, what's up with you? What's different? He's like, Dan, you know those God stories that we heard? He said, I found God for real. And I was like, I didn't want to admit it, but I wanted what he had. Yeah. And I wasn't going to admit it to him because I was stubborn, but I really wanted what he had. And I watched him like a hawk. And I just saw this man was for real. He had something different and something could change in his life. And then I realized I've got to sort my life out and find out who this God guy really is. Wow. That's quite, that's very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have people come and tell these stories and you know, these moments of encountering God. Um, some, you know, some cases it's a boom moment, you know, mm. one evening they were at service and suddenly they just knew they had to change the stuff. Uh, other people, it was sort of like a slow build like we had with Toby last week. Um, Yours, um, to me, it, it seems like yours was uh, like a puzzle um, and there was just piece by piece by piece slowly sort of building up to cement this faith that you have, you know, that these different moments were, were different set, uh, pieces to this puzzle. Yeah, you know I think mean. so. I think you're right. I think what's weird is, is when you're living through that, you don't see it that clearly and I don't yeah. see it clearly now. So I didn't see the... So working with, for example, if we go back to the time when we were pulled over by the police, mm-hmm. if I'd been arrested that day, there'd be no way I would have been, it would have been as easy to work with the kids. Yeah. As it, so when you look back on it, you can see that God was in control the whole way through, albeit life seemed to be all over the place. And now when I look back, it all kind of fits into place. Yeah. At the time, it was just a mishmash of things happening left, right and centre. Yeah. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know what anything was. I was just looking for identity here, there and everywhere. Yeah. So... Uh, how much did your family and friends know about, especially church side? How much did they know about what you're going through? Like, how much did they know about your hotbox car and all that kind of thing going on? How much? Not a lot. I'll be honest, not a lot. Um, so no one knew about any of that stuff other than uh, the girl People. that I was dating at the time, um, and a cousin of mine. He kind of knew. Um. And then obviously when my mate came back from Canada, I was very, very open with him. He's one of my best friends, you know, and always, always has been. Um, so I could always be, be open with him. But no, not many. I was very good at putting on a cover. So obviously at like sort of family events, I knew how to play the cards. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I knew how to cover up. Um, but not even purposely. It's just like, if you imagine somebody like, when I was in a family environment, I was that family person yeah. do you know what I mean because I didn't <laughs> work out the hash and learn no I didn't know who I I didn't know who I was do you know what I mean so when I was at work I was just the worker when I was at school do you know what I mean it's just all mm. over the place it's just a completely decompartmentalised mm. kind of life so um, just a mishmash you Luke mentioned the puzzle and we've heard various different bits but is there a moment or a story or anything you have where you kind of feel like all those pieces slotted together and you kind of have that experience of right I've got this now I think there were there were two main events the first one was at that first kids church session yeah I suddenly realised this man who's in front of me is someone I can follow and I can listen to 
because I think with one thing with growing up in churches I've become quite I don't know maybe judgmental I suppose in one sense but I just like I know a lot of people that say a lot of things but they don't live it out do you and think I'd as well that. you were sort of quite numb to it because it was part of your life and childhood that yeah. nothing really was surprising in that sense like seeing get someone go up on stage and talk that's true yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd heard the stories before mm-hmm. I'd heard the bible stories do you know what I mean I'd heard people preach before loads um, yeah so I guess there wasn't or it wasn't like coming into a brand new thing that kind of happened um, but the problem growing up in it is is that you see some things that make you think nah, that's that's a load of rubbish yeah. and and I based God on people I didn't base God on God mm-hmm. who he said he was I based it on the people that I saw and unfortunately we get it wrong do you know what I mean I get it wrong so it's like oh, when, when I'm talking to people I say please don't judge God on me do you know what I mean judge God on who God is do you know what I mean look for God in for who he is we're people and we try our best but we're imperfect that's that's just the way we are and so I think a big thing for me was this Chris guy who was stood in front of me I was just like look what I do know of the Bible, I kind of see in your life, do you know what I mean? And therefore the two kind of married up and, and that was a big, that was a big turning point for me. Right. Um, because I was like, this is a man that can help me, mm. um, help me find myself, help me find God and find out what this stuff is all about and build, build on it. So what was um, his um, second moment then? I completely forgotten. Brilliant. Shall we take a break there and then you can sort of remember and we'll continue in part three as well as, you know, what's changing your life since then. Sounds good. Awesome. We'll see you all. Well, you'll hear us all in a bit. And we're back. I hope we all had a nice little break there. So, Dan, we're going to go straight back into it. Do you remember moment two? Yes. Yeah, I do. Just <laughs> good. What was that <laughs> pause there? <laughs> the way you looked then was like, oh, we've forgotten again. We've forgotten again. Right, we'll have another break. See, we'll run a bit of that joking. <laughs> no, we're there. We're there. Um, so, yeah, so this happened over a, a couple of years. And I was learning a lot more and getting heavily involved with the the kids' work that, we were, that Chris and Min were doing mm-hmm. around that area. And the really nice thing about it was is that it wasn't just this Sunday school on a Sunday afternoon, but we used to go and visit the kids every week as well. So you get to see them at home, get to know the parents, all this sort of stuff. So it was, it was a good thing. And then, um, so I then started going to church a bit more, um, a bit more sort of seriously. And God took me on a lot of, a lot of adventures. And I'd say the first time that I heard that I heard God, as it were, in my own kind of kind of way, mm-hmm. was I had a mate of mine who was helping me understand some of these things. Um, being a Christian and reading the Bible and all this sort of stuff. And uh, he was about to go on a six-month alcohol fast, um, which I had a huge amount of respect for because um, I, like, I could never drink loads. Um, I used to get really sick. I gave myself a really bad alcohol, alcohol poisoning when I was young, mm-hmm. 16. Um, and from that on, I had a very sicky tummy, to be honest, whenever it came to drink. But I did like to drink, and I drank very often. And uh, he was going on this alcohol fast, and I was just in absolute awe of this guy. I just thought, that's amazing. Fair play to you. So he was going to give it up for six months. And so I was uh, sat in church, and um, I don't know what it was, but I felt God say, I want you to do it. I want you to join him. 
And I was like, God, I really <laughs> can't do that. And he's like, I know. That's why I'd like you to join him. <laughs> and it was that it was kind of almost like a jokey kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But there was an absolute um, seriousness. There was a seriousness. There was. It was just like, yeah, I'm gonna kind of do this. A certainty, this a, you know. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then during that time, it was an incredible time because uh, I didn't stop doing any of the things that I sort of did at the time. So I still socialised with my friends. Do you know what I mean in town and whatever. But when you take alcohol out of that environment, you see things in a whole new light. Mm. And it was like this, this kind of journey with God, do you know what I mean, over those six months. Because I guess in some ways alcohol been a bit of a crutch to me, um, which I think it can become without us even realising it. True. Um, yeah. So when you take that crutch away, you kind of feel vulnerable. But I had this kind of new relationship with God thing going on and actually it kind of accelerated everything. Um, so God had to be really real at that time. So things were changing in my life anyway. But the next big turning point, uh, the one that I'd forgotten earlier, <laughs> was, um, so my pastor of the church um, said, oh, I'd like some people to go to Scotland and have a look at this. It was called the G12 Vision. And have a look. There's a church up there that are doing it. They're having a conference about it. I can't make it because he was away on, a, I think it was an Africa trip or something. But I'd like you to go and have a look and see what it is. So I was like, why not? Journey up to Scotland, sounds good. So three of us went out there, uh, had a look. And I saw this thing that I'd never seen before. I saw church as it looks like in the Bible. You see, I, my biggest problem with, with Christianity was I read something, but I don't see something. Do you know what I mean? The two didn't marry. What I saw in church didn't necessarily marry up with what I read in the Bible. And this was a massive sticking point for me. It was a huge problem. It was what was stopping me commit completely. I could commit to God, but I was struggling with this commitment to church and what church was. Now, I liked it in the form of the kids' work that we were doing because it was out on the streets. It was going and visiting people. Um, it was going and visiting non-Christian families and homes and sharing them, being good news to them. It made sense. But in the church environment, I just couldn't see it. We were just a bunch of people that were didn't really care about anybody else that was outside of the church, just looking in the church. It just didn't make sense to me. Um, and I had this real problem with it. But when I went up there and I heard about this, uh, based on the win, consolidate disciples, saying winning the lost and actually living your life for the lost people around you in whatever way, shape, form that may be, I was like, this is good stuff. Mm. And all of a sudden I thought, if church is going to go down this line, I'm in 110%. Wow. This sounds good. Mm. Um, so I think that was another big turning point for me. And just to happen to be, I don't even know why I chose to go, I'll be honest, but to just happen to be there at that time and just see this for the first time and go, this looks like what I read in Acts. This mm. looks like the Bible. Um, that was a big, big thing for me. Another piece of the puzzle. Yeah, the puzzle is the puzzle's getting bigger, That's ever it. bigger. So it's getting bigger. Yeah. So, as we sort of part three is sort of based on, you've had these moments and that moment. Um, how did that change your outlook on life? Well, my outlook on life. Quite a broad um, question. That was a big question. Yeah, yeah, that's a very big question. Do you know what? everything? It yeah. changed absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. My life had purpose. Um, I had peace. I'd never experienced peace for the whole of my teenage years mm. until I found God. Um, 
and I wasn't scared of death anymore. Wow. In fact, the idea quite excited me. Um, wow. In fact, I've always had the, I've always been open, open, I guess, to the idea of one day, yeah, I may well be martyred, but that doesn't matter. So, I mean, it come to that point, it gone from an absolute fear of death to, do you know what, I'd gladly die tomorrow if mm. it had to be for, for um, yeah, for, for God. And I'm not going to deny him in any way, sh- shape or form. And so if mm-hmm. it means death, it means death. And with that came, so one thing that was big for me when I, when I sort of committed my life to God was, right, okay, the drink went because he said so. Yeah. Um, but another crutch in my life had been girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always been in relationships, sort of relationship, loose relationships, but there was a big identity from Well, being, you touch upon that on the yeah. first two parts, you know, that, you know, you sort of said that you were sort of confiding in them and, you know, that was your purpose, obviously, yeah. being in a relationship or being committed to that person, so... And I found yeah. it, I found it easy. Um, wow. I found it, it just wasn't, well, it just wasn't a problem, but then I realised it was actually a huge part of who I'd built myself up to be, who isn't necessarily what God called me to be. So, again, when I made that commitment to God, it's like, right, I found this thing is brand new, right? This thing's given me an identity, this, this, he's incredible, man. I can't believe that he actually loves me and, and I was on this journey this really exciting journey so I was just like wow no girls man no girls at the moment this is this is just like me and him at the moment we're gonna we're gonna ride together on this one and um but there there'd been this girl right that I'd seen she was in kind of like an older group anyway um only a year older than me but she'd been in, and I'd always seen her and thought she is really attractive mm-hmm well, we got talking at a wedding and um, we were just sort of talking. I was talking about the kids' work that we were doing. Um, she'd done some kids' work out in Ecuador and all this sort of... And we just connected, you know, just as as friends, really connected. Um, and I went to work the following week and one of my mates said, you watch, she's going to reel you in. And I was just like, <laughs> no way. No one's really mean at the moment. It's me and God, it's me and God all the way. Now... She won't like me saying this necessarily, but she actually asked me out. Okay. In fact, the first date we went on, I will confess, the first date we went on, we went to Pete's Hut, right? Good well, I got home. First date. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got home from dinner to the smell of my mum's roast dinner. Oh dear. I'm not going to deny a roast dinner, especially at this time in my life, because <laughs> I wasn't really looking at this as a date. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I was just looking at this as two friends meeting up. So I didn't think having a roast dinner before would be a big problem. So I had a roast dinner. I turned up. We met in town. She said, all right, where should we eat? I was like, well, to be honest, I've had a roast dinner. So wherever you want to eat. That didn't go down too well. However, as far as I was concerned, we were there as friends. So what does it matter? Hey, be truthful and honest right from the word go. Mm-hmm. So we went for pizza. And it's like, yeah, mate, it was nice. She ate. I didn't. But there we go. It was all good. And um, I just thought I found... Like, I was just like, thank you, God, on the way home. I found a real friend. Do you know what I mean? The first kind of real close female friend. Um, this is this is good. Yeah. And uh, then a little bit later on, so she asked me out. And I felt so bad because I was just like, this girl is beautiful. Right? She's amazing. She's like a soulmate. But I can't risk what I've got right now. Mm. I can't risk this new relationship with God that I've got like I've found out who God is I've found out who I am within that and it's just changed my whole life and there is no way I'm going to risk over a girl so to my unbelief my utter unbelief I turned her down wow. and I was like I don't know why I did that 
but I do know why I did that. Do you know what I mean? It's I wasn't expecting hard. that either. No. I was expecting, and now she's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> yeah. But I just couldn't, Luke, do you know what? We, I found something that was, that gave me everything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why would you risk that in a relationship that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, we're good friends, we're good for each other, this, that, and mm. ever, but I just couldn't risk it. And given your, your past of always trying to find your identity in uh, women and in relationships you've been in, you know, there, there'll still be an essence of that in you. And I, I guess, not necessarily a fear, but you, you were wet wary about the possibility of you getting in a relationship and being hurt by that relationship yeah and how that would affect you and your relationship with god i, I guess that was there that's I mean, true yeah. yeah definitely it's uh-huh. just an ultimate protection of yeah. what i of what i'd found mm-hmm. you know what i mean and i couldn't let i couldn't risk mm-hmm. letting anything touch that um now yes Stephen, you are right she is now my wife. Oh, oh right. You know oh, I was thinking when you said that, so I was like, maybe this was it, maybe this wasn't. Um, God, twists all over the place. <laughs> I can't keep up. So how did that come about? Like, what happened there? You really want that story? Well, go for it. <laughs> it's an incredible story. So mm-hmm. later on, um, a few months down the line, we'd got become really close friends, and I'd basically gone and checked it out with a few people um, and just thought what do you think about this blah blah blah, blah. Um, some older people to get some so a bit of wisdom on the situation yeah um, and they were like well yeah it's, could you see yourself marrying this girl and I was just like I really could and they're like well yeah okay you've, you've prayed about it you've laid it down already once before God um, it's still there so yeah so we entered a we entered a relationship and I knew straight away that we were going to get... There was just that feeling that we were going to end up together, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was cool. But the thing, the thing is, is that she'd... I always said she'd been to Ecuador and done some work for children. But she had a real heart for South America yeah. um, and going out there. And I could not work out in my head how that was going to work out. Anyway, the following year, she decides to go to Bolivia for six weeks. To go and do some more work out in South America, which is cool, fantastic, go for it. I then went to Soul Survivor. Uh, we took a load of young younger people from the church, went along to that. And one night there was a night where God was just doing some stuff, um, all sorts in many people's lives. And Mike Pilavachi was there, and he said, This is the kind of night between you and God. It isn't about the person next to you. It isn't about the people around you. He said, this is just between you and God. Just find some time between you and God and just talk some stuff out. And I said to God, I said, God, honestly, I've only come here for one question. Am I to marry Catherine or not? Not because I want to know, but because I want to know what you've got for me. Mm. And if this is going to hinder the plans you have for my life, I will end this relationship tomorrow. However if it's actually going to benefit the plans you have for my life and it's in your plans and in your will, then, yeah, no problem. It's not mm-hmm. a problem. I just want to know what you want. That that My my passion, my desire doesn't really matter right now. Do you know what? I heard nothing. <laughs> to I the mean, point where I was actually frustrated. Bet, I'm like, yeah. look, I'm actually laying this thing down. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm deadly serious. Whatever you tell me, I will do, right? When I became a Christian, I realised this thing is all or nothing. There's no middle ground. It's, it's everything or nothing. So I thought, here I am, God, laying this thing before you, and you're not saying anything to me. I can't believe it. 
Anyway, so I was very frustrated, so I decided to walk back to my tent that night. Very annoyed that God hadn't answered the question, the one question I wanted to know the answer to. So I walk into this toilet block, and I remember it, I can see it now, I walked around the corner into this toilet block, and there I heard it. Literally, the voice like shook the whole toilet block and said, you will marry Catherine. Wow. Honestly, I couldn't believe what I just heard. Mm Mm-hmm. To the point of, I then ran through the whole toilet block and checked if anybody else was in that room because it it certainly felt like it was. Mm -hmm. I remember looking in the mirror and going, God, I'm so sorry for my lack of faith, but if that's true, you're going to have to tell me again. Bam! You will marry Catherine. Gosh, wow. I walked out of that place white as a sheet and shaking, man. I was just like, Mm. but at the same time, giddy inside. Mm. I was just like, no way. I've just heard God on something that's so important to me. Do you know what I mean? I was excited. Anyway, I come back from Soul Survivor, absolutely made up. I'm not going around telling everybody. Of course I'm not. Do you know what I mean? I'm holding it close to my heart. Catherine flies back from Bolivia, won't even look me in the eye, doesn't even give me a hug or a kiss, and is like, I don't know what I'm going to do in my life right now. My heart's for South America. I don't know if we should be together. Wow. What a challenge, what a... And then I realised yeah. why God told me so clearly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I obviously didn't say anything to her, um, and the rest was history, because God then spoke and worked things out like he does in his beautiful way. But yeah. do you know what? There's a lesson from that. When God tells you something that clearly, don't shout about it. Don't put any pressure on anybody. Just step back and let God do what God needs to do. Mm-hmm. That which he starts, he will bring to completion. And mm-hmm. he did so. And we're happily married now with two boys. Brilliant. Wow, what a story. Again, it was all part of the journey. You could write a movie about that. You could. Yeah. A bit I'm, more puzzle for you, though, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> I walk the movie. <laughs> One day. Oh, mate. <laughs> Got so many plans for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so going back a bit to, um, you know, sort of what's changed about you, I, I can imagine from knowing you now and just sort of hearing about you before I knew you and, you know, your teenage years and, and before you met God and had that relationship with him. I'm imagining people would have noticed a difference um, as well. But for you and yourself, what did you put practically in your life to sort of keep you on that path with God? Like, was there anything you put in place? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was one thing that, so with the, when I went to see that conference in Scotland with the G12 vision, a lot of that was to do with your personal life. It wasn't all just like um, winning, consolidating, discipling, sending. A lot of it was to do with with your walk with God. And what are you actually doing to improve your walk with God? What are you doing to get to know God more yourself? It's not just something that you sit there on your lap and it all falls in. It's just it's something you have to work through and, and you have to battle through some stuff. Um, so just things like the alcohol thing made a big difference in my life. Um, I then, once I saw that side of alcohol that kind of changed a lot. So I then became very careful on who I was right. and how I treated things like that. Um, again, I explained a little bit about the relationship thing, but the biggest thing to me was, was my life became dependent upon, you can call it lots of different things, but I would call it like my devotional life. Yeah. Like my life became one that I, I seeked God in every moment I had. Um, and that started in the morning, every morning. I remember we used to have a have an office built at the end of our garden 
and I used to get up very early in the morning and I used to go down to the out of the house because there were four of us in the house it wasn't a massive house but I used to go down to the end of the garden and the office and I just used to open the bible read and pray and be on my knees most of the time asking for forgiveness I'll mm. be honest um, for things that I'd done for things that I'd done to people sometimes knowingly sometimes unknowingly um, but that time I called that place the secret place mm-hmm. and that's where my relationship grew it wasn't mm. necessarily at church it wasn't necessarily through any like sort of teaching or stuff like that it was through that personal development with God now with that I gave my life to that children's ministry of kids church that I was talking about earlier so I'd be out on the streets visiting kids We'd be up till midnight planning sessions and making them the best we could and taking them away on camps and all of this sort of stuff as well. Um, so there has to be a, something that you're giving out to, you know. I think sometimes we can get stuck in the point where we just want, want, want. We want more from God, more from God, more from God. But if there's not an outlet, then we just end up becoming stagnant and that becomes smelly and not a lot of good for anybody mm. do you know what I mean whereas there needs to be the outlet and I think that as the outlet and God's working through you because as he works through you he changes you then that was where that was what changed my life I'll be honest mm-hmm. those times with God is yeah. what changed my life and now I, I work and I encourage as many people as possible get that sorted in your life and your life will change and I see it happening all over the place and it's it's fantastic so I like that. <laughs> um, what kind of? I don't know. I kind of. I guess I imagine. I'm thinking people listening to this and kind of hearing you say, "God spoke to me loud, boom." I looked in the mirror and you know, ah, oh, he saved me from. People might be a bit cynical, I guess, about your experience yeah, and for stuff. Sure. Have people um, be cynical to my face about it? Yeah. So, like, what, what, what do you say to them about God, about who He is, what? You know, like they might be going, oh yeah, whatever. But what do you say to them about? Do you know what I get that totally? And I guess there there are times when I could even be cynical about it. But the thing is, is that my life now that I live, everything is his, and everything I do is for him. So if you take away my experiences and and belittle them, how can you end up with a life that does everything for him? Do you know what I mean? It's like. If we take his disciples, for example, his disciples, most of them ended up being crucified, dying or dying for the sake for the name of Jesus. Now, they would have had people being cynical, going, oh, yeah, he wasn't quite who he really was in this Sanyam, but they're willing to die for it. And anybody that's willing to give up their life for that, mm. it's like, I really don't care what they think. So, why would you give up your life for that? Why? Mm. Because he's given me everything I am. I was, I was nothing. I had nothing. I've gone from a person who doesn't know who he was. I've gone from a person who had absolutely nothing at all. Confused. Probably touching on depression in some ways. Just by trying to work out life and trying to work out what it's all about. Um, to To be given everything. It's just been perfect. I mean, that's been quite, quite, I don't know, quite this testimony. I think I'm going to be chilling on it for a while because there's a lot of good stuff in there and a lot of good advice as well on, you know, 
finding a secret place and going to God, you know, that can be really easy to just ignore. And I'll even admit myself, you know, I'm still not very good at doing that. I can go a few days a week where I'm like, ah, I'm tired, I'll just get up later and then go to work and then mm. kind of ignore it. But, um, yeah, food to thought. How, how are you doing, Luke? You're a bit quiet over there. You good? Yeah. Good. I'm fine. <laughs> okay. I was thinking about working with this guy tomorrow. Oh. I see him in a whole new different way. Mm. Better way. <laughs> check, check his car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make that joke forever now. Sorry. Um, never trust me with information. No. Uh, so, Dan, in, um, in our final part, um, before, we, before we leave, we always ask for a prayer request that me and Luke can be praying for and listeners can be praying for. So, is there anything we can be praying for you over the coming weeks and months? Yeah, definitely. Um, me and my wife, my better half, um, run the children's work at Last Spring Church. Um, we're always looking and seeking God for new ways, um, ways to help the kids not engage with Bible stories, but engage with God as their Heavenly Father. Um, and so we try to make it as real as possible. So wisdom um, and fresh ideas that is always good we're also trying to get out into the community more we're doing quite a lot of work in the local primary school down there um, and so all of these opportunities they need they need wisdom um, I'm, I'm a man who, who asks for wisdom a lot yeah, um, you need a lot of wisdom mm. in a lot of situations um, and the same with generally um, every person that you meet I don't want to be that person that is is a hypocrite or comes across as somebody who says one thing and does another um, I want to be someone that helps as many people as possible come to know Jesus for who he really is um, so I want to go to heaven and I want to take as many people there as possible with me so just constant prayer for changing for wisdom for conversations for opportunities um, and for helping other people engage too in doing that too um, I love talking to people about God I really do um, but I also like really inspiring people as well to, to get out there and do it too so cool. a lot of prayer requests I yeah, appreciate no, no. But great stuff we can do that we can get on that and yeah. there's one question that I'm sure might be burning in our listeners um, you now work for your dad so presumably that whole <laughs> hate thing that's gone now right you've restored that relationship Right, so that was another. That was that was another. <laughs> keep it story. short. Keep it short. We're just keep it like... short. Okay, the short version is, I went to a conference in Colombia. God touched me. Bearing in mind the bloke was talking in Spanish, I had no clue what he was talking about. I don't know how or why, but what I do know is it felt like he literally pulled my heart out, scrubbed it clean, and put it back in. I spent about twenty-five minutes slobbering all over the chairs and anyone else that was trying to me as God was literally doing something in me it says that God will replace our heart stone with a heart of flesh that day he replaced my heart stone with a heart of flesh I then went to my dad and apologized for everything I'd ever done mm. and from that day on yeah things uh, obviously have to be continually worked out mm. but there was that that love was reconnected so God does everything man the gospel is restoration renewal and redemption he will restore you to who you were meant to be he will renew you this is what he has for you that's new the plan and the purpose and he will redeem you through the blood of Jesus because that's enough to pay for anything brilliant 
Well, thank you very much, Dan, for being a part of this week's episode of Our Walk. I'm sure that when people listen to this, they'll be as inspired as I am from this. Um, so, yeah, no, thank you very much. No problem. Um, I'd just like to remind the listeners that where you can get in contact with us, you can. Facebook, we do have a Facebook page. Just search Our Walk. Twitter, we have a, a what do you call it, Twitter page? Yeah. Yeah, Profile. well, you can follow that at our walk pod. If you'd like to email us, if you have any questions, you want to be part of the show yourself, or I don't know, criticisms or just good feedback about the show, you can email us ourwalkpod at gmail.com, or you can visit our website where you'd be able to find every episode of the podcast, blogs, and much more to come. Ourwalkpod.com. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Dan. No problem. Thank you. Everyone have a good week and God bless. Bye. <laughs>